the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. August 3rd, 2022. I am Seth Leibson. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. Congratulations to all the candidates who won their races last night. Uh, to those who didn't win, um, we thank you for being civic activists and civic participants and helping make our party better and our country better and doing your level best. I was once, uh, once uh, taught by candidate in local offices that um, the feeling you have, the great feeling you have after winning an election doesn't compare to the down feeling, how bad the down feeling is when you lose one. So, of course, uh, you know, uh, we want to send and extend our sympathies there. The big race uh, in Arizona that's still too close to call last I check was the race for governor. Uh, we'll hopefully know something either later tonight or uh, first thing in the morning, best I can tell, uh, the race is um, within about 12,000 or so votes uh, of each other right now, with about 150,000 or so uh, ballots yet to count. And of course, there's the conundrum and head scratcher of, and crisis, really, when you think about it, of uh, what took place in Pinal County. We'll get the uh, legal political view on all that from our constitutional uh, scholar and attorney, Brett Johnson, and we'll get the political legal view from our uh, consultant expert, uh, George Kaloff, a little bit later in the show. I'm not sure how many of you are aware of or following, but there is a trial going on in Texas right now, a trial against broadcaster Alex Jones. And without getting into my own thoughts about him, it's pretty clear he's played a little fast and loose with the court and truth-telling. At least fast and loose enough for the judge in that trial, one Maya Guerra Gamble, to read him a bit of a riot act in open court, as she did yesterday. I want you to hear what she said. Pay close attention. Bill, can you play that for us? You may not say to this jury, that you complied with discovery. That is not true. You may not say it again. You may not tell this jury that you are bankrupt. That is also not true. You're already under oath to tell the truth. You've already violated that oath twice today in just those two examples. It seems absurd to instruct you again that you must tell the truth while you testify, yet here I am. You must tell the truth while you testify. This is not your show. Do you understand what I have said? Yes, I believe what I said was true. So I don't... Yes, you believe everything you say is true, but it isn't. Your beliefs do not make something true. That is, that is what we're doing here. Just because you claim to think something is true does not make it true. It does not protect you. It is not allowed. Okay. Okay. You see what she's saying? You must tell the truth, of course. But also, 
What you believe is true does not make it so, does not make it true. Just because you believe something is true does not make it true. She said this and variants of it several times. Now, Judge Gamble is a good and well-credentialed and certified liberal at most. She runs for office as a Democrat and has two degrees from Yale. Her website boasts, quote, as a Latina and as the child of an immigrant, Maya is fully aware that discrimination based on race and gender still take a toll on community and progress, close quote. That's the language of a liberal leftist. Now, yes, of course, we conservatives will take no back seat to opposing discrimination based on race, gender or anything else. We just don't think we have to introduce such positions by stating our own race. We just don't think our race matters in opposing discrimination. We think our brains matter. And the notion, of course, that race determines what you think, that race determines thought, is not only something the left continually relies upon and supports. It was, as so many of us thought, a doctrine of thought that was junked once and for all at the Nuremberg trials. Clearly, we thought wrong. That noxious doctrine is alive and well in America's left today. But aside from this little detour on the issue of race, let me get back to the main point. So the main point, how does Judge Gamble view the whole issue of transgender arguments? That because someone may want to be of a different sex than they were born with, that because someone may think they are of a different sex than their chromosomes and anatomy dictate, how is this acceptable to her? How can she view the line of argument that makes being a woman a point of debate or a man a point of preference and belief? How can she possibly or how can anyone possibly support that given the lecture she just gave Alex Jones that just because someone believes something simply doesn't make it true in the face of all evidence to the contrary? If it's important to maintain a sense of justice, according to the judge, how could it be less important than in any other possible sphere. Justice is, after all, pretty much everything here, isn't it? It relies on our courts of law, of course, but it relies in a country of 331 million people on all of us abiding something short of being sued in court or suing someone in court or being arrested, doesn't it? Doesn't justice exist somewhere outside of a courtroom? It must, because the vast majority of us will never see a courtroom in our lives. I mean, the vast majority of us will not be arrested in our lifetimes or have need to sue someone or be sued by someone. So justice must, if we are to maintain any level of order or liberty, abide in and around us beyond judicial orders and lectures in defamation suits, no? Our Declaration of Independence speaks of justice a number of times. First, where it tells us that governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Note well, or nota bene, as we say in the law, governments are not instituted to secure any powers that consent or majoritarian authority grants, but rather, as the founders say, just powers. Governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers powers from the consent of the governed. There is something, in other words, in back of the power we are allowed to possess and project. That something is justice. In its derivation and etymology, justice means justicia or uprightness. In our constitution, the first thing, the first thing we say we need to form a more perfect union is what? 
to establish justice. And in James Madison's rendering in the Federalist Papers, Federalist 51, he writes, justice is the end of government. It is the end of civil society. It has ever been and ever will be pursued until it be obtained or until liberty lost, till liberty be lost in its pursuit. Close quote. What does he then tells us happen if what tell, tells us happens if liberty be lost in the pursuit, if liberty be lost in perverting justice? What's his exact next sentence describing what happens? Anarchy. He says anarchy is what takes place. Justice, of course, is what the Greeks, especially Plato and his Republic, were consumed with. And as Plato teaches, justice is not near, merely based on strength or majoritarian sentiment. It is not based on self-will, run riot, or simply belief. Though there are those claims of every tyrant, it doesn't make them appropriate or true for us. Which is why Alan Bloom could write in his book, The Closing of the American Mind, quote, It surely was impressive to Italian and German intellectuals in whose eyes the fascist and Nazi movements found favor that self-assertion, not justice or a clear view of the future, was the crucial element of their regimes. Close quote. The triumph of the will was, after all, Hitler's greatest propaganda movie, the self, the self-will and the self-belief. That is the mark of anarchy or tyranny. So as it turns out, I hope we can begin to understand that what the left is trying to do with nature, human and otherwise, is not only in the service of anarchy and an effort to be as gods or to act as God. What the left is trying to do is create a universe not even they can abide or accept. To wit, a judge cannot accept subjective beliefs over truth when it comes to Alex Jones because these judges intuitively know, perhaps without thinking about it or even ever studying it, that at the end of the day there is still something called objectively truth. And truth is very distinction, excuse me, and truth is very distinct from any notion of my truth, for that way leads again to the self-will, to anarchy, and it leads to contempt in the law just as much as it does in the courtroom. It used to be the left embraced Saul Alinsky's rule for radicals that the task for the left was to, in his fourth rule, make your opponents live up to their own book of rules. Well, the left has a book of rules. They may be arbitrarily imposed, but when they show up, as they do from time to time, as here, as in Ketanji Brown-Jackson's hearing, as in Kamala Harris's understanding of her pronouns, but as she objectively understands color, when they show up, we shall make them live by them. That must be our goal, too, or at least point them out so that hopefully someday we can do the other thing Plato asks of us, which is lead the purblind out of their ardently protected caves of sight and thought. We have it from as far back ago as the Middle Ages that what is good for the goose is good for the gander. Originally, what is good sauce for the goose is good sauce for the gander. Of course, to understand that phrase, one has to understand the difference between a goose and a gander. Otherwise, the phrase would make no sense. And to understand that difference is the last thing the modern left thinks can be objective and true, as I should hope I don't need to explain it to them right now. But I will. A gander is a male goose, and the maleness of the goose 
just as the acceptance of any concept of justice or truth or equality is not dependent on whether the gander thinks it's a male goose. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by my friends at Y-Refi, and they are my friends. If you are looking for a unique investment opportunity, I want you to check Y-Refi out. What they're offering is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where the investors do really well by doing very well for others. And you can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. 855-316-3087. Dana and Chandler. Hello, Dana. How are things? Things are really good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Good. So I was listening to your your opening monologue today, and um, I have a question for you. Mm. Since school has started up, um, my daughter started school again today. Um, It's her final year, her senior year. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a question about dress codes. And apparently the state has made some changes that dress codes now have to be gender neutral. Um, and my daughter goes to a school that they have a dress code. So boys can wear skirts to school, which I find very interesting. Excuse um, me? Ex- can you repeat that? Yes. Would you please yes, repeat boys, that? Yes. Because of the state rules, this is what we were told, the dress codes must be gender neutral. And so one of the boys in my daughter's class was wearing a skirt to school today because the boys are allowed to wear skirts now. I'm just simply flabbergasted. I mean, I'm speechless. What's the point oh, of a dress? Why, why have a dress code? What, what's the meaning of a code? Maybe they think well, dress code means everyone needs to wear a dress. Right. Well, they're supposed to be professional because being a student is their job. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, khakis or skirts, you know, to the knee for girls. Or I wonder if the students ever think I wonder if the students ever think they might know more than the teachers and the students might want to be at the head of the class instructing the teacher. I mean, if a student thinks if a, if a male student thinks he's a girl, what keeps the male student who thinks he's a girl uh, from being the teacher in the classroom and not the student? Why, why, why the distinction between teacher of student? I mean, if we can collapse the distinction between male and female, it's, which is a pretty hard thing to do. I mean, that's serious stuff. That might even require surgery. That's not something a student needs to do if he wants to think he's the teacher. You don't need surgery for that. Why can't the student claim to be the teacher? Why does any noun matter anymore? Is my point about these dress codes, I guess, Dana. I'm not mad at you, obviously. I'm rhetorically angry here. <laughs> This is this is rhetorically uh, yes. well, angering. I keep losing you. No, I'm sorry. Go, you go ahead. I was just saying I'm not angry at you. I'm rhetorically angry because of the madness of our society right now that doesn't know what a noun is. Go ahead. You 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 tell us more. Well, so it's very interesting because in the school's family handbook, it goes over um, what they require of students in terms of their code of conduct, mm-hmm. and it lists. Amiability, compassion, courage, gratitude, and honesty. Mm. And it states <laughs> that the students should tell the truth and are as honest as their actions. Which I find incredible because my daughter is now forced to pretend that this boy is a girl. 
which is not being honest to herself. I take it this is a public or quasi-public school of some kind or other, not a private school. I take it. Yes, it's a charter. All right, that's a public school. Wow, wow. Well, I'll tell you, I haven't, um, I haven't taken uh, a summer vacation yet. When I do, one of the things I'm going to look into is homeschooling and education pods that have been created because, you know, it is madness that, A, we pay taxes that support this junk, and that's what it is, junk. I, I, I honestly don't know how you can have an English class in school where nouns matter. I really don't understand that at all. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't understand how you can have a concept of teacher and student if the distinction between male and female is fluid. I don't understand That's it. That's a great point. And I don't understand how you can have something called a dress code if people wanted to define for themselves what dressing means and what a code is. I just don't understand what they think they're doing to us. But it's a big bad joke. That they don't get. It's a big bad joke. But I will pay the first. I don't know what. I'll pay the first installment of a legal fund for the first parent and student that is in a school like this that the student wants to challenge the classroom apparatus and say he's the teacher. If the student thinks he's a teacher, why is that worse than him thinking he's a girl? As I say, you don't need an operation to become a teacher. It should be an easier, a shorter distance for a student to think he's a teacher than for a student to think he's of a different sex than he was born with. This is, Dana... Well, and certainly in a charter, teachers don't even have to have a degree. I I just... I am, so why shouldn't the student be a teacher? Uh, that, that's what I don't understand. Why shouldn't, this, why shouldn't the student think he's the principal? Why doesn't the student well, think he's the point. principal and change the dress code and get rid of the dress code? <laughs> By the way, why doesn't the student think he's the teacher and the principal, get rid of the dress code and make recess an eight-hour function and call it education? I mean, these nouns just don't matter anymore. I don't know how you diagram a sentence. I don't know how you teach the diagramming of a sentence. I don't know how you have science class. It's amazing, isn't it? It's the end of civilization is what it is. It's the end of the world as we know it. REM was right. They were just a little too early, and they misdiagnosed the problem. Yep. If we don't have common nouns, if we don't have common understandings grounded in nature, we have nothing. We We don't have science. We don't have math. Two plus two doesn't mean what you and I used to think it was because the next person that comes around and says it's five, just as in George Orwell's 1984 with O'Brien and Winston forcing him to convince himself that. This is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. My goodness. Well, Dana, thank you for calling us. I appreciate it very much and putting a light on the nonsense in which we must labor and pay taxes to labor boy come january things have to be a lot different they better be welcome back to the seth liebson show 34 past the hour we do our culture and economy segment no one better to do it with than john dombrowski he is the founder and president of grand canyon planning associates grand 
CanyonPlanning.com is his website and a radio host in his own right. You can hear him here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. with the word on wealth. Happy Wednesday, John. Hope you're doing well. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. You betcha. Uh, Stock market looking good today. Everything looked up, up, up. Uh, Walmart laying off hundreds of corporate workers. And I want to ask you how we square those two pieces of news and also talk to you about a story regarding what Americans need or think they'll need to retire. Which would you like to tackle? Yeah, just first? briefly touch on uh, the markets today. Yeah. yeah, we had a nice day for the markets. Uh, NASDAQ up two point, almost 2.6. The Dow and the S&P up uh, well over 1%. And um, this really, after two days of kind of uh, a wash, you know, wishy-washy type of a market, uh, we got some positive news, um, and that's certainly economic news. We also, I think, the the issue with uh, Speaker Pelosi visiting Taiwan was a little bit of a concern to the markets. And, you know, the not sure what China was going to do as far as if there was going to be any type of action. Uh, there was obviously some uh, jets flying around and some military exercises that they're performing. But uh, at the moment, anyway, uh I guess the the market believes that uh, those things, those tensions, will be alleviated. Mm-hmm. So that that really is is where we're at with the markets today. Uh, you know, and I still think there's going to be volatility, Seth, moving forward, and that's certainly something that people have to consider. You know, making sure that they're invested properly for their time horizon at the at the current uh, with the current economic conditions. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, talk to me a little bit about this interesting retirement story. There's a mm-hmm. division between what Americans think they'll need to retire and how much they really need to retire. This yeah, is, so, this is your wheelhouse. Yeah, this was a survey that was uh, that uh, Schwab had uh, initiated, and uh, they came up with this. Is, this was late 2021, and uh, they came up and surveyed, and about three in ten Americans believe that their uh, lifestyle will will improve in retirement, which is interesting. Many people that I talk to, and that's about seven out of ten, true, uh, believe that they're going to have some challenges once they retire. Uh, but the average, the participants think uh, they're going to need to save $1.9 million for retirement. And there may be people out there thinking, $1.9 million, I'm never going to be able to do that. Does that mean I'm not going to be able to retire? Absolutely not. You know, this is a national survey. Uh, living expenses uh, across the country vary, of course, mm-hmm. and individuals' uh, living expenses vary. Uh, will you have your home paid off in retirement? Uh, do you have two homes? Uh, what is your uh, current household income? How much are you saving for retirement? What are your your monthly expenses? There are so many variables in this. Again, these are people that are participating in 401ks uh, that they surveyed on this. Uh, and they believed uh, out of the survey, 38% of the people uh, surveyed felt that uh, they believed very, very good about their plan that they have in place. 53, pretty good. Only 9% felt that their saving habits and their 401k outcomes would be negative, which is pretty good. I was surprised about that, and those numbers have gone up since uh, 2020 and, uh, and 2019, 2019 as well. Uh, but here's some of the things that they think that they have the challenges with. Uh, they're they're not um, really understanding how to calculate how much they need to save for retirement. Uh, they don't know how much they should invest in their 401k. Uh, figuring out how to create income streams, anticipating tax expenses. So there's a variety of areas that people are left wondering how they're going to uh, be able to you know complete these things in order to have a comfortable retirement. 
Uh, and one of the ways is uh, participants believe that they need uh, more help from a financial uh, advisor. And that is up um, from from 2020 as well, from 49% up to 56% uh, believe that they need to work with a financial professional. So I'm glad people are starting to see that getting some professional help and a consultation on that can certainly help them be more successful in retirement. Yeah, that's that's nicely put, John. I was thinking, you know, I, I, I'm only going to guess that when people come to your office to talk retirement, that... You know, I was just going to guess that they, they, they may need more than they think they need. But, you know, I, I couldn't say that for sure. But what I do know for sure is that um, in most cases, it's not too late to start doing something about your retirement. Absolutely not. The so earlier, think, better, but it's yeah. never really too late. One of the things to think about, too, is, is not only how much do you need to retire, but are you Import, is it important for you to leave money behind to beneficiaries? Right. If, if not, then things the whole picture changes. Yeah, that's right. And you that's know? something we need to talk yeah. about, too. We haven't delved deeply into that point, which we you should bet. do next time we talk. Sure. Sean, thank you. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, typical and investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning, Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC, and not affiliated, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As promised, it's time to check in with Brett Johnson, our constitutional legal scholar. He is a partner with the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, offices from Phoenix and L.A. all the way over to Washington, D.C. Best attorneys I know. Brett Johnson, welcome back to the show. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, Seth? I'm doing fine, but I need you and the audience needs you to help straighten us out on this thing called Pinal County. It's a galamafri of problems. That's a great word, a great French word, a real hodgepodge. What's going on in Pinal County, brother? Yes, you know, and, and I've been doing election law in Arizona for, gosh, 15 years now. Yeah. And and uh, Pinal County, unfortunately, became the, the center point for, for election issues um, yesterday, which was which was unfortunate because that's not something that Pinal County has been, has been known for. But Going back in history, you know, Arizona seems to be the center of election law issues. Yep. It usually ends up at the Supreme Court one way or the other. Yep. Um, but yesterday in Pinal County, um, just a just a bad day for that elections department. It only got count, compounded because earlier in July, um, basically sent out some uh, wrong ballots on, that were printed and that were missing the municipal from municipal elections, and they had they got sued over that. And then yesterday, starting pretty early in the morning. Um, it became apparent that their polling locations did not have enough ballots to uh, for both the Republican and the Democratic candidates, and so people were not able to vote when they wanted to vote. Um, and and we have, uh, of all accounts, it's between 16 and 30 of the polling locations ran out of ballots. That was one of the major issues. Um, one of the other uh, polling locations did not open up on time. It was actually closed for about three hours until somebody showed up with the correct keys. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, when they were trying to do a fix for the lack of the actual printed ballots, they turned to a, a machine that is able to be used for disabled people, but anybody can use it. And those had not been charged, and the paper for those machines were, were not readily available at some of the polling locations. So, unfortunately, a bad day at, at, at Pinal County. 
uh, for that elections department and, of course, you know, calls into to a lot of concerns for a lot of the candidates that are down there. How much of this is Pinal County? How much of this is the state or the secretary of state's office? I imagine there will be natural political finger pointing. But in your cold judgment, is it a mixed problem or is these th- do these things tend to be more localized? It, it, it is more localized, and you know our Supreme Court, uh, both the U.S. and the Arizona Supreme Courts, have, have said that you know elections are local. Now, they're, they're the Secretary of State and the Attorney General and the Governor are responsible for passing an elections manual for every cycle. That did not happen this year. Um, so, a, a court up in Yavapai actually determined that the one from 2019 would be in effect. So, you know, there's always confusion when that elections manual is not done. But in this case, um, in many counties, the, the roles are split between the recorder's office and, and the elections department director, which is under the supervision of the board of supervisors, which is what happened here. So it is a very localized issue. Um, in good fashion, the other counties tried to step up and help, but the issue was was very localized. And they weren't the only ones. I mean, uh, if you're reading the media reports, there were some issues in Maricopa, but those were some of our more typical ones that we see during elections. When you're running this many polling locations and you're primarily relying on volunteers or retirees making minimum wage that don't do this on a regular basis, there's going to be some mistakes for sure. It's just just natural. However, the widespread that happened in Pinal County was was just unfortunate. And we had more poll observers, too, right? The more observers, the more allegations, right? That That's true. And probably, and actually, certain, certainly from the 2020 election, there's been a lot of interest um, from, uh, from individuals who want to volunteer their time to be poll observers. Now, each political party is allowed to have one poll observer um, in each location. So usually it's one Democrat, one Republican. Sometimes the Libertarians will send somebody. It's very rare. Um, and it's interesting that other poll observers try to show up, quote-unquote, international ones. Those are not allowed uh-huh. in the polling location. Um, it's always interesting when the Russians and the Chinese try to send polling observers to yes. our election. Yes. But that, that being said, <laughs> there, there were, there were 3,000 poll observers um, that were spread out. I think almost every polling location in Arizona had a poll observer, which is a first for Arizona. That's usually maybe the case for a general election, but very rare for a primary. So whenever you have that many eyeballs on an issue or on, on at a polling location, obviously more issues will arise. We did see an increase in those kind of run-of-the-mill ones that I was making reference to in Maricopa, but uh, Pinal County was just a little bit different. It just had a, had a bad day. Now, Brett, can the candidates involved in Pinal County, can they appeal to the supervisors? You touched on this, but walk us through this. Can they appeal to the supervisors to effectively nullify or call for some form of a mis, 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 not a mistrial, but a miselection? Or is this going to be a stampede of candidates rushing to hire you because they have to go to court? <laughs> well, unfortunately, um, there, there is. There always is judicial action. That's our, our last stop um, in the process. A judge can take a look at this. And if you don't like what that judge says, you obviously have the ability to appeal it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, it's got a lot of attention back in 2020 as to whether or not the people who were certifying the election had the ability to not certify. Right. And in Arizona, um, basically, it's a ministerial act. 
so long as the format is correct and it's been processed by the right people, then the, uh, the supervisors must take their ministerial act or a judge will do it for them. Um, however, if there's ever fraud or, you know, some, some untoward type of activity, unfortunately, gross negligence likely probably doesn't meet that element. It could, and possibly in other states for sure. Um, you're, the, the county supervisors are just going to have to do their ministerial duty and then um, deal with the consequences because at the end of the day, the elections director works for them and uh, what consequences are going to come from, from uh, um, unfortunately, the errors that happened yesterday. It's sad for the candidates who obviously spent uh, an enormous amount of resources and time, energy, um, but even those cases are very hard to do. And, in fact, on the, on the one polling location in the open, was on one of the reservations and the Gila River community brought in action to try to keep that polling location open for three hours on the back end. And what the judge said there was, you didn't show us any voter that was actually impacted by that closure for three hours. So the judge declined to allow the, the polling location to stay open. So it is a high bar. We've done it before, but you really have to show that the election itself was going to be impacted. And the elections we're talking about would be primarily legislative races, state legislative races? State legislative races, for sure, any of the municipal ones, right. but all the way up to state state races, too. And right now, I don't believe the governor's race has been necessarily called. Right. It's about 11,000 um, ballot change. So technically, even a statewide candidate, if, the, if there were enough of those ballots at issue, um, could possibly um, do something. But again, you have to be able to quantify it for most most courts, um, unless some other extraneous situation exists, um, and that's kind of tough to do. Brett Johnson, bless you and thank you. Uh, SWLaw.com is the website if you're in earshot and uh, think you uh, need to hire someone like Brett. You can do no better than Brett Johnson, which is why we keep him in our back pocket as well. Brett Johnson, thank you, sir. Godspeed. Much appreciated. Thanks, Seth. You betcha. We'll talk soon. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. Great people, great product. I take it every single day to boost my energy, my immunity, and my overall health. 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables blended into one daily dose of capsules. If you don't like swallowing capsules, you can easily unscrew them. They're designed for that. Not even unscrew them, just pull them apart easily and sprinkle it in food or drink or chew on them. Fantastic product. Uh, I've never taken a better one. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. I was referencing at the beginning of the show the uh, the levels of... Uh, shall we say, uh, joy and happiness uh, to the victors and the levels of disappointment for those who didn't make it uh, in the election last night. And one of the things that I think is important uh, for us to go know going forward is even for those in the disappointed category, this is a time to be greatly optimistic about our movement and our party because what it shows, what, what these results are, are, are showing, not only here in Arizona, but with the narrative across the country, is that we are not only actively involved in not taking it anymore, per 
or contra D. Snyder. I guess D. Snyder's pulling back his song. We're not going to take it uh, from conservatives who are using it, saying he's a pro-choicer. Do you see this? He's he's there's nothing legally he can do about people using his song, but he's saying, please don't you. Well, you know the hell with you. It was good for Schwarzenegger to use when you stood next to him when he was fighting the Democrats. Should be anyway. My point is, we should be optimistic because we have them on the run. We have them on the run. You look at how Democrats are now funding certain Republicans and certain primaries. Why is that? Gosh, we're not giving our money to Democrats. They're giving them to certain Republicans to kind of, in some Machiavellian sense try and figure out the best way to beat us? Well, the best way to beat us is to find a new Democratic Party, not try and redefine the Republican one. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 